apologize for the last 10 minutes of the show last night. Anyway, you're listening to an extra, well, it's going to be an extra hour or however long Blog Talk decides to keep me on today. Anyway, you're listening to a um, Global Stars Yellow Card podcast, Chris Gluck and Tim of 7 a.m. kickoff. Here's what happened yesterday. We, I was sitting here listening to these guys talk towards the end of the show, and then automatically I was just kicked off air. Usually, guys, when that happens, I'm able to call back in because I'm, I'm dialed in as the guest. I dial back in, and it says the host is on, but I was disconnected. <laughs> so, that, in other words, that means there's another person with my phone number and my voice in Buffalo, New York, sitting in my seat, I had a real weird out-of-body experience with that yesterday, but that, it's it's good that we get to be able to do it again. So, what, I don't know where we left off yesterday. Oh my! I think I was. Jeez. Uh, well, you know, when you said out-of-body experience, the first thing that came to mind was Southampton the last three games, but. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think they've had a, a, a bit of a reality check on the trot, and and uh, you know their their schedule doesn't look too imposing over the next three or four weeks, but uh, boy, they they sure took it on the chin the last three games. Um, uh, unlucky for them, but you know I can't I can't remember exactly what we were talking about. Tim, can you can you recall? <clears throat> no, not 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 the specifics. Sorry. <laughs> Okay, so we'll, we'll have to come up with a new topic. Well, well, let's talk about the MLS championship game. Okay, did you guys That's watch? A good place to start. I watched up until that idiot flew, flew that banner over um, MLS Cup, and then I just walked away. I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to see the rest of it. But I did. Li- I did get to listen to it while I was um, picking my team for my U14 club. <laughs> Ah, well, congratulations on working as a head coach for for your U14 team. How about you, Tim? Yeah, Did you take cool. in the game? I did not actually. I was um, I was busy at that exact time. I know I should have made time, but um, I have a, a deep seated dislike of Landon Donovan. <laughs> <laughs> and besides, I, I, besides, you know, I follow. I do follow the local Sounders. The lo- my local team Sounders and um, you know they they got dumped out of the of the cup at the hands of the Galaxy and I don't know it was kind of hard to take so yeah I I, I can see that you know being uh, Rose City till I die kind of guy um, you know I, well I'll I'll offer up a, a couple of thoughts here is, um, and and I'll try to translate it back to to European football especially since I've been doing my expected wins analysis of late. You know, for for me, I I was not surprised, and maybe others don't care, but I think the MLS franchise is a whole lot of care. And I certainly think Toronto cares based upon what uh, Vanny or Vanny said recently. The lack of control in that game was uh, astounding. Uh, when and, and and I say that because you know averages about sixty five percent passing accuracy within the final third across all of MLS at, at least if my really? memory serves. Yeah, I'll 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 check my my stats here in a few minutes, but uh, to to get a better number if it, if it's worthy. But you know, in in that game, fifty six percent was the high. For LA and 54% was the high for uh, New England. And you know, when you think about the final third and and the the critical ability to create time and space, you know, passing accuracy has got to be spot on. And you know, this you know wasn't kind of the umbrella attack that you see from one team that possesses and one team that kind of bunkers in like a turtle. Um, you know, it, it, it was, you know, I think they call it fast and fluid, or at least castral 
attempts to call MLS fast and fluid. I'd kind of quantify that as being faulty and and not fluid. I, I could probably think of a, a better word that begins with F other than a couple of other <laughs> regular words, but... Um, <laughs> You know, or maybe faulty and frictional. I don't know. I haven't got a clue. But but I was I was disappointed in the lack of control, not only in the final third but across the entire pitch. And you know, I don't know if you guys. I don't read MLSsoccer.com that often, but but when they do interview the head coaches, I'll kind of peek in. And they uh, they did an article on Vanny, and he's going back to square one. He's He's going to concentrate on first touch and control. And he's made it clear that Toronto is going to focus on that next year. And they're going to go back to the chalkboard and and talk about that and and how first touch and control translates to better play. And, you know, I think a lot of teams ought to do that, Um, go go back to some basics. I'll bet Owen Coyle does, the the new head coach for for Houston. And I think we'll try to talk to Chris Canetti about that. But... When when you've watched as much soccer as you have in in the English Premier League, Tim, what are your thoughts about the control versus the games that you've seen in MLS? Um, I don't want to come across sounding like um like a, an Anglophile or anything like that, but the there's some it, 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 I, I and I don't have the stats. I, I'd love to see. I, I think I've I've taken a look at some of your numbers, and I think you wrote a, a large piece about this. Um, uh, uh, in terms of quality, the difference in quality between MLS and, and other leagues. And it, it's telling that my casual observation, without looking at any of the numbers, is that the first 10 minutes, five, I'd say five minutes actually, to be fair, five minutes of the first half and the first five minutes of the second half, the teams play a lot of head tennis. And rather than bringing the ball down, taking control of the ball, and creating some space through passing or movement, there's a lot of players just almost panicking and, 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 and clearing the ball in midfield. And I just don't see that. Even even in the teams like Burnley in, in the Premier League, you just don't see that kind of that kind of um all hands at the pump panic, clear the ball out of the way in midfield that you do in, in MLS. And I don't know what to attribute that to, although my gut feeling is that that it's down to the athleticism of our of our players, um, and they're closing spaces down a lot faster, and they're they're able to um, they put people under a lot more pressure. There's a lot, it seems to me there's a lot more pressure in MLS as compared to uh, in the Premier League. The Premier League is noted for its speed and other things, but the one thing that they don't tend to do is put a lot of pressure in in midfield. They they you'll either see teams pressure deep like West Ham or you'll see teams pressure high like Arsenal are trying to do this season but the the midfield that just general midfield pressure just doesn't happen Uh, watch Michael Carrick play well when he was playing for Man U two seasons ago the man had an incredible amount of time on the ball in 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 the in Premier League matches and I just don't see that in MLS matches even even great even great players don't get that much time on the ball and deep in midfield like they do in um, like they do in the in the Premier League. So I think it tends to be a little bit more of a hurried kind of um, panicky looking game, and I, I I would attribute that to the the um, the physicality of the of the midfielders and the sort of in the MLS. What do you think? Yeah. Am I off base? Am I crazy? Well, <laughs> crazy. you know, a couple things. I'll find it here for for the English Premier League and, and Bundesliga. But the the average uh, passing accuracy within the final third for MLS last year was sixty four. Sixty four percent. Yeah, it was. 64. And what was it in? Um, and and the LA averaged nearly seventy percent. So so their performance dropped fifteen percent and. You know, okay, some might argue you can attribute that to being an MLS Cup final. Um, geez, that that's that's a huge difference, fifteen uh, percent, and even uh, New England averaged sixty-five percent, so they they were ten percent off base. Um, 
But but yeah, I think you're right, especially and I think that kind of supports the thought I had, Tim, about uh, Owen Coyle coming over because you know he's he's been a head coach of Bolton Wanderers, he's he's been a head coach of Burnley, and you know, granted, he he had to play to a certain style given given the budget that he had in taking championship league teams up to the Premier League. But you know, I think you're spot on that you know when you look at teams like Burnley, etc. Uh, even the the lower half, or even if you look like a at a at a West Ham, you know when they get control in the midfield, they keep they try to keep the ball. They don't hoof the ball. Um, so so right. your comments resonated a hundred percent. What are your thoughts, Steve? You know, it's it, I have never understood this, and maybe this is a big bigger thing to talk to Chris Kennedy next week. Is the Scottish connection to Houston, because Houston's mostly a Latino area. I mean, they they get they've had Scottish players and Scottish assistant managers. I mean, so John Spencer's Scottish. Owen Coyle is a former um, Celtic player and he is Scottish. He, he coached at St. Johnstone for a while. It just seemed. I agree with having him come over because I think the the level of coaching in the United States needs to improve. And bringing over bringing over someone that was in the championship and the Scottish Premier League is only going to help help Houston grow as a team. I mean, they're a wonderful franchise. As, as it is. I mean, Chris, Chris and Tim can speak to the numbers and the passing better than I can, but it, it just seems that by having Owen Coyle come over, you're raising the standard of what the play is. And with Craig, with Greg Vaney up north of me, because I'm in Buffalo. He's an he's a former academy director with um, Chivas in Toronto. Is that they're going to get to the where you're talking about the finishing and the first the first touch because there's a it just frustrating for someone like me who's getting to learn the coaching aspect of it and reading the coaching books like I, I have right now sitting next to me the Dutch coaching bible and seeing these apparently world-class players that we have or close enough, just continually losing the ball. I mean, it just, it, mm-hmm. it gets me. It's like you should be able to get it wide and cross it. But it's it's like us as Americans see, see only one thing, hoof it up, get in the middle, and keep it dense in. And it just it just doesn't sit right to me for some reason. Have, yeah, so that that idea that they have so – this is one of the things that just from a logic standpoint, you have to look at the players that are in the MLS and ask whether these – I mean, whether they're top quality players. I, I, I know that – I mean, on I, I know – I've watched Obafemi Martins most of his career. <laughs> I've watched um, – uh, Clint Dempsey, most of it. these were those were the two number one and number two player players in the league last in in the MLS this year, right? They won, mm-hmm. they won the um, yeah. So <laughs> I can tell you right now, I know <laughs> Obafemi Martins is not a world class player. He never was. He never he he scored against Arsenal in um, multiple times. He started his career at at Inter, um, and he went from there to you know various clubs, and finally went to Birmingham. And then came over here. So what Siggy Schmidt's done with Obafemi Martins is incredible. Uh, he's gotten he's gotten the best out of him. But you watch him play for 15 minutes, and he does exactly what Steven said. He loses the ball constantly. He makes really ridiculous decisions with when he does have the ball. And um, the level of quality of that player is just not the same as even somebody like Boj. Uh, I'm going to mispronounce his name, but Bojan from from Stoke. The Stoke City player who's been educated at um, uh, Barcelona Academy is going to be, you know, he's 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 a top quality player. Whereas, you know, these young the the players that we have in MLS, they tend to be older. They tend to be going here for their retirement, and they're not at the high level that they are in in the English Premier League. And so that also leads to this sort of this sort of um, the, the, the problems that they have retaining possession and, and passing the ball in the final third. That again, I don't like to, I, I get 
criticism anytime I even say anything like this because American fans are rightly very protective of their league. But the reality is, is that, that, that the league is, is wonderfully supported and deserves the fans deserve to have some of those players, you know, some, some top quality players brought in. And, um, and uh, I think a team that did that, a, th- a team that tried to get a young top quality midfielder would find themselves winning the league multiple times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think he, uh, you know, I don't quote Alexi Lalas too often, but you know, he said something during the MLS in the pregame for the MLS championship that I, that really resonated with me. And this gets to the, the quality that I think you're, you guys are talking about, especially like these midfielder, the mid-level players that play in, in other leagues overseas. MLS is a league of stars where you've got three or four DPs and then you've got the rest. And and the hard part about the rest is the rest is limited based upon the current MLS salary cap and the yeah. existing collective bargaining agreement. And And I think as long as that collective bargaining agreement has a salary cap that's only three or four or five or six million – this league is going to continue to be a league of DPs, which means your control, at least for from you know my set of eyes, and you know if there's a hundred thousand people watching a game, that's two hundred thousand eyes on the game. But but you know from from my set of eyes, as, as long as that cap exists, you're going to have issues with control in this league, and 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 I think consequently Jurgen Klinsmann is going to continually say. You need to play in Europe, and and mm-hmm. here here's an example. And I don't know if we've talked about this before, Stephen, but think about uh, Michael Bradley. He wasn't going to get 90 minutes at Roma, so he chose, and MLS chose to pay an extremely high salary to bring Michael Bradley over to Toronto. And you know, Michael's never been a player that's had a high level of passing accuracy. He just never has. It's, you know, 65, 70% individual. I'd be surprised if it exceeds 75% um, in in any league. And, you know, he's playing on a team as a DP, and then he's surrounded by average players. Now, put him on a team like um, Stuttgart or uh, Hamburger or Wolfsburg or... Uh, Burnley or West Brom and give him 90 minutes with one of those teams that are on the lower half of their league table, but he gets 90 minutes with them and think about what he has to go up against in order to get better at control. He's going up against Arsenal who pass 700, 800 times a game. He's going up against Man City who pass 800 times a game. He's going up against Chelsea, who passed 700 or 800 times a game. If if he can't perform and control when his team does get the ball with West Brom, then then he definitely doesn't belong with West Brom. But from a player development standpoint, he's getting a lot more action, activity, and and you know tightening the screws on becoming a better player with first touch and passing and control with West Brom at 90 minutes at the bottom of the league table than he is with Toronto, who finished near bottom of the league table anyhow. You know, I so I, I'm kind of 100% in favor of what Jurgen Klinsmann said, and, and you know, that's kind of my story, and I'm sticking to it. So, um, And I think it all goes back to that salary cap issue. There you You're go. not getting any yeah, argument that, out of me. <laughs> I think that's what they're fighting against. And I mean, because as we said, I, I remember saying that to you, God, what was that about a month ago that maybe there should be a lockout w- with the CBA because I would think everybody is, everybody but the owners are in agreement that the salary cap either has to go away or has to be raised significantly. For the for them to for that this league to improve, I mean, it has improved over the last couple of years. I mean, we're not going to sit here and say, "Oh, woe is me, this is a horrible league." The this CBA that's coming up, and they're they're 
doing it right now, they have to make significant headway. And the also thing they have to do is get rid of all these damn drafts they have. There's three this week of selecting players. What other soccer league has four four drafts for players? I mean, are yeah, you kidding it, me? I mean, well, I, I, let me if I can, I'll pile on. If you guys want to interrupt, go for it. You know, on top of that. You know, the league advertises itself as a parody league, and you know, uh, or at least a t- attempting to be a parody league. And you all kind of accept that to an extent based upon the fact that they have playoffs, which, you know, on any given Sunday, anybody can beat anybody. And, you know, S- Stoke beating Arsenal is a good example of that. But <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry about that, Tim. But, that, but That's okay. <laughs> but, you know, the MLS draft is not on par with the NBA draft or the Major League Baseball draft or the NFL draft. So so that means nothing with respect to parity. To to me, you know, when I think about the collective bargaining agreement, the other issue that gets back to bringing in more players and enhancing the parity ability is increase the allocation money awarded to teams that finish lower in the table. But the twist to that is, is okay, say, for example, um, Sivas USA was still in the league, and they had a front office that was just downright pathetic and an owner that was downright pathetic. The problem with that increasing allocation money from maybe $2 million to $5 million or whatever the heck it could be is you'd be throwing good money on top of bad because the organization as a whole has a, had a history of being pathetic, just basically not caring. So so that that's kind of the twist I had on the parody and getting back to the control aspect of the game. Thoughts? <laughs> like like I said before, I don't I don't actually know enough about the the ins and outs of, of the salary cap and how that um how the teams the um <clears throat> excuse me, the ownership the ownership of the teams, the franchising of the of the of the league works. I do know a little bit about it, and, and I and I think I think that you're right in terms of generally like how the, this difference, this despair, this um, the the difference in parity between um, the top level players and then the lower level players. I, I, I saw or I heard a shocking article on NPR about the salary that some of these young men are are making. And you know, you look at a top league, and Denielson was making something like fifty thousand pounds a week, and you've got young young players in in who playing for for the Sounders who are making, you know, seven thousand seven thousand dollars a month or something, or set, you know, fifteen thousand dollars a year or twenty thousand dollars a year. And it's just not that's you're not going to be able to attract top talent with that kind of a system, or if you do, you have this situation that you talked about earlier where you have one star surrounded by a bunch of players who are just not very good. And yeah. um that that that's a recipe for serious long-term problems in the league and I think you're right that needs to be overhauled at some point. Yeah, Stephen, this is kind of a soapbox for you I think on on a few occasions. Oh, this is a, this is a soapbox for a lot of people. I, I, the other good thing that Tim's here for and I'm gl- I'm glad that he's a Sounders fan because that was something I, I've been trying to get a Sounders fan on this show. I mean, I, I'm completely biased. I'm a Timbers fan, so is Chris. <laughs> Did you, okay, go ahead. I gotta go, what guys. <laughs> no, no I, I'm going to be polite with it. I'm going to be polite with this. There's only about two teams in this world I can't be polite about, and you're not you're not a fan of either. So, okay. Um, we heard in, we heard among and we know with every. Um, Every supporters groups, the, every supporters base, there's always the element of stupidity in it that are always cl- calling for the head of the boss or that uh, all of yeah. have to be released and everything. Can there may, be an argument made that Siggy Schmidt is probably the second best coach in MLS history? Wow. <laughs> um, boy. 
I I wasn't expecting that question to be honest. Uh, so, have, why would you why would you make that argument that he's the second best coach in, in MLS history? I know that he is. He's well respected amongst his peers, um, which is which is a big deal. It's not the it, it, that that seems to be as big of a deal to me as having the that because that, that generates respect from the players and the generate and he definitely has the respect of his players. So that. <clears throat> That and what, like I said, he did with some of these young men, like um, or these older men, like like Obafemi Martins, and resurrecting their career is it's absolutely he is he is a, he is a he's a, a damn fine coach. Now I don't know what ranking you would use to in MLS. Who would be your number one? If you oh, you Bruce, know what I mean? I like, would, well, Bruce Arena. I would say Arena. Well, he, here, here's my here's my thought with here's my thought with Sigi and why I. I, I know power rankings are most mostly worthless. I, I like yeah. to look at coaches and see how they've adapted or how where they've come and how they've won. Siggy Schmidt, in every place he's been, has either won a league title or an NCAA mm-hmm. title. I mean, he's behind the UCLA power teams of the 80s. He won, won in L.A. He won in Columbus. He will get yeah. a, He will get a title. In, in Seattle, it's it's coming with you guys. You're 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 getting we look, there. That this team was what the best that I've seen. So that, yeah, that, I'd have that, to agree with you there, Tim. They they were a pretty tough team this year. Yeah, and 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 flexible. And and again, you're right about a lot all those things. Yes, College Cup, Concacaf Champions Cup, MLS Supporter Shield, MLS Cup. He's he's won everything, and that is yeah. So I guess. I don't see. I don't see any reason why we would. I guess yeah, we could say he's the number two <laughs> behind Bruce Arena. It's difficult to take that, and it's difficult. But but yeah, he he put together a tactically flexible team this season. They got the best out of some very underperforming career players like Obafemi Martins, um, and and not only that, but he has a gem of a player who's I think underrated in terms of. Of of performance in MLS and that's Ozzy Osvaldo, I mean Alonso, excuse me. Alonso is he's I don't think that I don't even think the local Sounders fans know how good that kid is. Uh, he could play in Europe if he wanted. He's he's that good. He, that that's one of the few players who could play in Europe. And then also Siggy also took he's taken youth players and started to inject them into the team. So he's doing a lot of the correct. He's doing all the right things to be a top manager and. Whether he's number one or two, or I don't know who you'd put as number three, but um, yeah, I think you're I think you're absolutely right about Siggy. Yeah, you know I'll I'll throw in my nickel. You know I'd almost kind of prefer not to 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 rack and stack them. I mean, you know there there's there's Jason Christ. Um, you know even though Caleb Porter's team didn't have a great result this year. You know, I did some in-depth analysis, and he's willing to adjust uh, both his style and and the players, and, you know, he, he makes decisions and, and he moves forward, and I think, you know, I think Ziggy Schmidt does that. I think Arena does that. I think Jay Heaps did a great example of that, especially when they added Jones to the mix. Um, Curtin came in, and he changed he specifically changed the tactical defensive deployment for the Philadelphia Union. So, you know, there's there's some good coaches out there. Um, and, and I think Owen Coyle getting added to the mix on top of the fact that he's now going to have to play in the Western Conference is, is going to be, you know, a, a tough call. I, I kind of have got a soft spot for him coming over because he's coming from Europe. And I, and I think, you know, that – I think what Kennedy's done, and, and hopefully we can talk to Chris about this next week, is he's he's taken that step to say, you know, we need to bring in some outside talent with respect to to getting a a good handle on the, on the game in in MLS to to make it more worldly. I guess you know I think John Spencer tried that, but I don't think he had the budget, um, and I don't think he really had the heart. Uh, that, that Merritt Paulson wanted to give him with respect to the budget. So, um, but but I think those those limiting factors, those drafts that you talk about, 
you know, there's just so many things going on outside of coaching the players on the pitch that, that, you know, the coaches have to deal with. And I think we talked, or maybe we didn't, we didn't even talk about travel. I mean, you right. know, we're on the, we're on the West coast and, you know, if you go and you play Toronto, you almost lose two and a half to three days of training touch time with the players coming and right. going. And, you know, you don't have that in Europe. I mean, it's, it's a coach ride. <laughs> even yeah. if you, if, if even if you're going to play Blackburn as Man City, you take the coach, you take the bus, you, you right. know, you're, you're not on the road a long time. Um, so, you know, there, there's so many different apples and oranges. Um, and, and I think some of the MLS conditions of the franchise are not ripe apples. I think they're apples that have gone past their sell-by date. Hmm. Okay. So, what, what, what was this you, you guys proposed on Twitter about expected wins to goals ratio? That sounded kind of uh, it sounded above my pay grade, but I was kind of it's ominous. <laughs> This, now, now we've we've entered into the ominous territory of of um, complex statistical analysis. <laughs> Let's see, well, Chris. Can can you keep it simple? The thing, the question I have for you, Chris, is can you explain it in a way that doesn't use words like R squared value <laughs> or um, scatter plots or yeah. um, Okay, do it. I want to hear it. Okay, in soccer, I, I think most would agree that, that there's certain things that have to be done. One is a get possession of the ball. Two is move the ball. Forwards or backwards, it doesn't matter. You've got to move the ball. You don't want to lose the ball, so you've got to move the ball. Eventually, or quickly, you want to penetrate the attacking third, create some time and space to generate a shot, Hopefully, put the shot on goal and put the put the ball past the keeper. That's basically what expected wins and it is all about. It's it's understanding all the activities that occur without getting into the individual statistics and right. translating that to whether or not a team is more or less expected to win based upon their current history, not the previous year, especially in MLS. Because the team, you know, the teams change so much. Um, with expected goals, and, and Tim, you can probably jump in here and, and kind of give an idea about what expected goals is. I think, right? I yeah, expected goals is the is the brainchild of it's it's an outcome of TSR, and I don't want to use an acronym, but I'm gonna <laughs> um, total shot ratio. Total, yeah, total shot ratio. Um, and so what they did was they. So a lot of this is something that I had thought about for a while, and you started to see the, this develop, this idea that not all shots are created equal. When they, did this, when, they did the, when they ran the numbers on total shot ratio, which is the um, ratio of shots that a team takes versus the total number of shots that were taken in a game, they found that there was a very high correlation between a high total shot ratio and ex- expected wins or expected goals, excuse me. And or that the team would win, or that the team would score. So they then decided, but but there was there was still some some flaws in this, and so they they dug a little bit deeper into it. And you start to find that um, that not all shots are created equal. So we know that, for example, shots taken from outside the box are very low percentage shots, and we know that shots taken inside the box are higher percentage. And there's a guy who runs a blog who went as far as going through and looking at angles of shots. So he did a lot of really good thinking and a lot of good preparation in order to create this new metric that, that expected goals. And what the new metric measures is not just where they're getting shots, but the angles that they're getting those shots. So, I mean, as you know, as a coach, you, you shoot, if you're right on the penalty spot, there's probably one of the best places that you can be to shoot the ball. Um, and then you start getting worse from out, you know, Aaron Ramsey's wonder strike, for example, against, against Galatasaray gets a lot of press because it is a highly improbable shot off the volley, 40 yards out left footed. And he's a right footed player. 
yeah. not very likely to score from that position. <laughs> so you can see that that's the logic behind it. Although I think that you've made a pretty strong case, Chris, that that your metric is actually s- sort of more has a has a better correlation than the than the other metrics like uh, like TSR and like expected goals outcome. Correct? Uh, yeah. I mean, I ca- I can't quote you on what the expected goals is, but uh, the the expected wins uh, R squared correlation for for losing teams is 0.959 for winning teams it's 0.974 so yes, and, are, and that's those... the relationship of that bell curve of activities that occurs right. including a goal scored and going all the way back to getting the ball um, right. so that, that so, for the layman who's listening that's an insanely high correlation <laughs> right yeah, like, it, yeah, I mean, I, I think, think I've, I've read a couple of articles think... on on Stats Bomb where the expected goals is point four to point five to point six, um, right? And and the other thing, and you know, this is where you know, I mean, when I was at the World Conference in Science and Soccer this past June here in Portland, you know, I I took specific time to try to talk with Ben Napper, who's the head of stats for for Arsenal. And and also I took time to talk to three or four guys with pros and we just we sat around and we had a cup of coffee and we chatted about statistics and just in general that there are some statistics that don't get measured that are of more value than some statistics that do get measured. And and in particular with the expected goals issue was teams don't look at it. They don't care. And the teams aren't using it. <laughs> right. The teams the teams don't care. They're concerned about time and space. Because right. if you have time and space, you can score from any location on the pitch. And and you know, I mean the the compelling question that that uh or statement that, that Tim brought up when I asked him the question about okay, what about the statistics the statistics that don't get measured. And he said, I'll give you a good example, Chris. He said, what about the past that doesn't happen? And, you know, this this gets back to what you and I talked about, Tim, is the individual defensive statistics and how right. misleading they can be. Because it's right. the number past. of tackles. Yeah, or, yeah. or interceptions. Ten tackles. Or, yeah, or yeah, clearances or, or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the thing that doesn't happen that prevents the goal more than the thing that does happen. Right. <clears throat> and and so when when I look at, you know, getting the ball, passing the ball, and that includes moving it left, right, center, forward, whatever you want to do, eventually you gotta penetrate. I mean every team eventually has to penetrate. So and then eventually every team wants to take a shot. So it it just trans transitions all the way into finally putting the ball in the back of the net. And, you know, like the Ramsey goal, it's like, okay, it's out of the blue, and it blows the expected goals categories out the door. But if you look at the number of total passes that Arsenal had, total passes completed, they're penetrating passes, penetrating completed, shots taken, shots on goal, goal scored. You know, that goal should be expected. Not necessarily well, yeah. from that location, but that goal should be expected, especially when they go up against a team like Galatasaray. So, so for me, you know, Ramsey's, you know, brilliant. I mean, that 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 gets back to that control thing in that in that first touch. I mean, you guys, I don't, you guys have played soccer. The the hardest shot in the world is is a volley. Yeah. I mean, God, your back's got to be straight, your knees got to be over the ball, and your toes got to be pointed down, and you got to get that forward mo- motion on the ball so it dips back down. That that's incredibly hard to do. Um, yeah. So, Stephen, I don't know. Does does that kind of bring the the calculus, the doctor calculus stuff, to to some generic terms for you with regards to expected wins and expected goals? Well, of course, because I mean, the highest math I've ever taken is geometry. So, I mean, as long as there's like a solve for x, I'm, I'm quite good with it. So, <laughs> no, 
what, what is funny, Chris knows this, and I when I when I brought Chris onto the show, I wanted to bring I wanted to bring some more stats into the show, and I, I was reading his blog, going, I don't understand a damn thing of this. <laughs> and what, what was the joke? What was the joke behind all of this? Is I've got an MBA. I'm looking at this going. I've taken stats. I have taken finance. I've taken all of this hard math that you're supposed to take in a cop in in MBA levels. And I'm like, I'm looking at going. Sure. I'm like, this is this is all pig Latin to me at this point. So well, like, I'm just going well, to have him on to to explain it up to me. So if someone ever asks <laughs> me about these like passing stats and possession, I'm like. Here's how it is because that's the it's the fun thing with soccer writing and soccer podcast is if you don't know something you can find it. I mean that's how I kind of found Chris. It, well, Matt Hoffman found Chris. Is <laughs> if you don't know it, it's there. Right. Yeah, I mean that that that's the one thing that I think with and and I don't want to sound too American as opposed to Anglophile to to steal your your terminology, Tim. <laughs> but you know, I think that's that's one thing that with with more Americans getting engaged with soccer and their love for statistics and fantasy football, fantasy baseball, etc. I I think the the world is the oyster on uh, soccer statistics uh, opening up more. <clears throat> um, yeah. Um, you know, I, I mean, you know, part part of the hard part about this is Opta is owned by Perform Group, which is a betting company. So they're going to hold close their statistics, especially the ones that have better correlation to making money than others. Uh, yeah. Prozone is a professional organization that, that works directly with, with clubs in all sports. And, you know, their copyright material, they're going to hold on to their stuff. Um, Stat DNA, who's out of Seattle, is probably one of the most forward-thinking cl- uh, soccer statistic companies in the world. Uh, I, I think they only got five or six clients, um, and I think one of them's Arsenal, um, yeah. and, and they hold to their stuff. So you know, guys like me, you know, I, we we got to rely on open public stats to do what we're right. doing. And, we can't you possibly know, be expected to look at 150 games or however many games there are in a in a weekend and try to make some kind of uh, you know even even one statistic would be difficult for us to compile on our own, much less the kinds of things that you're talking about, or the, the complexity that you're talking about, which is attempting to capture so much more of the game that's happening than just you know, one event, for example, that the fans tend to look at one thing like possession or tackles or something like that. That's their favorite stat. So, yeah, yeah, I mean that those, we, we rely on those open companies and they kind of have an almost belligerent relationship. They, they know that they can't lock down their stats. Like once they put them out there, they, that's becomes public information, but they can lock down their definitions and stuff like that. And they do that. They don't like us to use, their stats and their definitions to make our own conclusions. Yeah. 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 You know, and, and I won't say it was necessarily down to me, but I, I had ongoing discussions with Opta about their playground and their stats in general. In, in last year I complained, well, complained is probably the wrong word, but, but I did call them out and say, how can you quantify an unsuccessful cross as a pass, but a successful cross is not being yeah. a pass. Yeah. And, and, and MLS changed how they do stats now. They count crosses as passes as well as unsuccessful crosses. But you do notice they count that corners? the chalkboard... <laughs> yeah, the, the chalkboard took the numbers out. Yeah. Um, and, and then the other thing was is they didn't count a throw-in as a pass. Yeah, you, and, have, to look, you have to look a little deeper to find those passes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, but the just four, four, two idea, you know, in Excel spreadsheet, I go all the way out to column CP for my basic <laughs> statistic, statistical analysis type stuff. So if you look on a, on a spreadsheet up at the top, column A begins, and then I'm down at CP. So I go through all of A, I go through all of <laughs> all of B, B, all of B, and get into C. Um, 
So that's that's like twenty six fifty two plus another twenty. That's that's seventy two some odd uh, separate yes. calculations in statistics. And you know, yeah. And you know, so I can understand why there's guys out there that that uh, don't do this. Um, it 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 takes a bit, but the um. I guess that's that's my thoughts on, well, you, on this. Well, stat. I approach I approach the stats because um, I never had any formal training or any formal coaching or anything like that, and so I needed to try to find a way to understand the game, um, something that I loved watching. And along came these numbers. Sometime, if you remember, I think it was the Guardian actually that was publishing the Opta data, um, yeah. early two thousands, and. It was a powerfully, it was an intoxicating thing for me to see, uh, you know, like the number of completed passes that Danielson made. That was just, it was an intoxicating thing to see these numbers and try to, and it helped me to sort of, I, I can sort of see the game a little bit better now. For example, the Galatasaray match um, was unusual for me because both teams completed 90% of their passes. And both teams, um, there were only eight total aerial duels. Now, that tells me a lot about the way that, that that game was played. The game was played mostly on the ground and with lots of crisp passing, whether or not they was all forward. I didn't look at that part, but that was kind of an incredible little thing. And those are the kinds of ways that I learned to understand and appreciate the game a little bit better. Uh, I've moved on from some of those things since – I know now that a lot of that stuff can be meaningless without context, but um, but in the in the beginning stages, that was, it was like I said, it was intoxicating to read, to see these numbers and to see the game broken down in a totally new way. Um, but then you start to dig into it, and like you said, you can see some of the ways that Opta will they change. For example, one, they change their definitions without telling people. Yeah, um, I know they did that with aerial duels a few years back. Stokes suddenly went from averaging 30 aerial duels a game to 60. And that's because they changed the way that they counted aerial duels. And I asked and I was told. (laughs) Um, I I also know, for example, that they added some other new metrics like um, ball recoveries and those kinds of things that, uh, that we didn't have access to before. And they add access to certain things that they want to give you access to, like you said, that they don't feel like threatens their, ability to um to create a point spread in a in a football match so so they hold on to those things and and they change definitions and you know they had for a while they had clearances for a long time up until two years ago i think they had clearances as either failed or successful they were making a judgment call on whether a clearance was successful or not and now they don't even do that they just and oddly all the applications still have um, the slash. <laughs> so you'll have a clearances number will be 17 out of 17. <laughs> and it's really? always, every single, every single clearance is always like that now because it's just the, it, it's a legacy from when they, when they used to have failed clearances and they don't do that anymore. So hmm. it's a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting time. Like you said, to be part of a stats community, that's a burgeoning stats community. Uh, yeah, you know, if I if I can pile on, you know, I I I did a a study on uh, the the different stats websites out there, and WhoScored.com is one, um, four four two is another. There was MLS, there was the MLS checklist, Squawka. there's Squawka, and you know, each one of those uh, feed off of the F twenty four, which is the acronym for the opta data, but each one of them make a tweak. Yep. Um, and, and they don't tell you what that tweak is, but it, I, I thought it was kind of interesting that the first year that I did the, the possession with purpose analysis to come up with that index, um, my index actually was, was more accurate and, and I'll pat myself on the back, but I'll do it in a gentle way uh, <laughs> than, than squawkers or I think who scored. And the the big difference I did see with who scored is they 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 gave a negative to a team for getting a red card. And right. I thought to myself, you know, okay, 
what am I missing in mine or do I need to change? And I thought about it for a minute and I thought, okay, well, naturally you would expect that a team is going to have more passes and have more penetration and more shots on goal if the opponent is playing with 10 men instead of 11. So I, I thought to myself, my data already accounts for that. Yeah. So so I didn't make a change. But, you know, so if they're, if if you're a stats person and you're listening in, you've got to be careful with, with statistics that you rely on when when you're doing what you're doing. And, you know, my recommendation, you know, Stephen, if you ever get into it, is whatever you do, always collect from the same source, no matter what. Don't change your source. Mm-hmm. And and then you build in that that 95% confidence level for statistics-wise that says that, okay, at least if my data is an error, it's an error on a consistent basis. Right. Does, does that make sense, Stephen, for, from being a, a non-stats guy? Well, in a layman's in, lay, in layman's points, yeah, that does. That, uh, I mean, that that goes back to the um, journalism background I have. Is that you're gonna you're gonna use your own sort. You're gonna use your own sources. If one is accurate and right, you're gonna keep you're gonna keep going with it. I that that mostly makes sense. I mean, that that's I like when I and Tim doesn't. Tim hasn't read mo- my stuff. I've written a lot on um, soccer history here in the states. I write a lot more than Ted Westerfeld ever has. But I'm not going to get into that argument with him again. And the best place to go is not Colin Josie. Colin Josie, I think his last name is, is actually NASL jerseys because it has all the stats all the way back to 1967 of everything. Yeah. It, so. And it's some Jersey's guy website? out of his basement. Yeah, uh, it's some guy <laughs> out of his basement in like St. Louis that started collecting jerseys and then started collecting more me- um, media stuff and just put up all the stats for all the players that used to play in that league. And it's like for someone who's a history buff like I am, it's it's like what you said, Tim, that made, the stats just made you happy. I look. I look at it every so often. I'm like, this is cool. I mean, this is cool. I mean, I'm sitting next. I'm sitting next to two um, media guides from the '70s. So it's so. <laughs> hey, hey, Tim. Um, yeah. I guess since we'll do this on a on a two part thing, um, let's let's circle back to to Arsene Wenger and and your your uh, thoughts um, on. His his maintainability as a head coach for the Gunners. Boy, I, it's it's. I was thinking about this in the car on the way home to take, to record this, and it's a really strange time right now because I can't remember any other coach that even if they fell apart completely, like Brian Clough. I can't. Rem- I don't know if he was treated this poorly at the end of his at the end of his tenure, as Arsene Wenger's been treated by a certain segment of fans. And I, regardless of what happens with him, I don't think that that kind of um, abuse that he got on the train station at Stoke is ever warranted. I don't think anybody deserves that personally, like to be yelled at to be told to F off. Um, I, I just don't think that anybody really warrants that. And I understand that, that a lot of Arsenal fans are very passionate about their their club and they feel a great deal of ownership of, over the club. But this, this, gets, this gets down to a basic level of respect for this man. The, the thing about Arsene Wenger is that he has been remarkably consistent throughout his career. Number one, two, three, or four – Top four finish every single season the entire time that he's been at Arsenal. That is – that's not normal in football. In football, you see a lot of ups. You see a lot of downs. Um, and even a team like, like Chelsea, they, you know, they go on and win the Champions League by luck. Let's, let's just put that out there. That was, that was absolutely absurd luck. There's no way they should have won that, the Champions League that season. 
and they finished sixth place in the league, which proves that they shouldn't have won the dang Champions League. So um, you can see that even a team like Chelsea, who spent a billion pounds on players in the last, and just on trip, I'm not talking about player salary. I'm talking about just on player acquisitions. They spent a billion pounds. <laughs> that even that team can have ups and downs. Shows you that that Arsene Wenger's tenure at Arsenal shouldn't ever be even questioned. He is frustrating, however, because he does things his own. He's an iconoclast, and it's and that kind of person is always frustrating to other people. Um, well, not always. At first, iconoclasts are fun, but they they kind of wear their they wear their welcome out eventually. And what what he's what he has done is is in the last few years he's had some very familiar problems crop up the the sort of indiscipline of his teams this this very attack attack mindedness and the fact that he's been sort of unable to get in a defensive midfielder that fits his mold that's the key the key phrase there that fits what he wants that player to do not what somebody else wants the player to do not no not Scott not not what the average Arsenal fan wants that player to do. The average Arsenal fan wants Scott Parker. Arsene Wenger's not looking for a Scott Parker. He's looking for a replacement for Arteta. And that's a very specific type of player, a player who's passing at 95% rate, tackling, covering, intelligent, those kinds of things. That's a rare player to find. He's looking for that guy. And he's had a hard time bringing that player in. And fans have grown impatient with that. So... There's frustration. There's a sort of 18-year familiarity with this guy. There's the consistency is actually kind of used against him, which is incredible to me. And and so the only way that he's leaving Arsenal, however, is if he decides to leave. And that's why these fans are. And actually, Raphael Honigstein actually encouraged the fans to abuse Arsene Wenger because he said that's the only way forward. Is if you abuse him, he'll quit. Huh. And I think that that's an absolutely wrong. That's just wrong. We should not be doing this to Arsene Wenger. Arsene Wenger deserves, I think, our respect and a little bit more of our time. And if he chooses to retire, then so be it. He should choose to retire and you know have a year that he he gives us one more chance to all say goodbye to him, and then we'll get in some other manager who will. Not be able to do what Arsene Wenger does. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. The next manager at Arsenal, you know, is just not going to be able to do it. I, I don't – I dare say there are very few managers in world football right now who could do what Arsene Wenger has done with Arsenal on the budget that he's doing it on, which is down to the board. Um, so when he does leave, which could be this summer probably, they're not going to fire him mid, mid-season. Um, and he's not going to retire midseason either because he's an intelligent man and he understands that you just don't do that. <laughs> uh, but if he does retire at the end of the season, then I do fear what will happen with the club, which is we'll get in somebody like Andres Villas-Boas, who's a nice guy and is a decent manager, but he's obviously going to struggle with betting in a new team and with you know betting in new players and changing the system, and you're going to see – pretty much exactly what you've seen with all the clubs that have had to change a long-standing manager, Liverpool, Chelsea. It, they struggle. They struggle for a season or two until they can get their feet and they can, they can develop, they can acclimate to the new system. So my feeling is Wenger is going to leave eventually. He's had 18 years. I think around 20 is, is probably going to be a little too much, but, um, but he's, he is definitely, going to go down in history as one of the greatest managers in English Premier League history. And, yeah. great thoughts <laughs> and there, his Tim. tenure is – what's that? I said great thoughts there, Tim, definitely. Yeah, I, yeah. so that's, that's, where I, that's where I come – he's going to have a statue. He will have a statue in the Arsenal Statue Garden out at, out at, um, at, the, at Ashburton Grove. He will have his statue there, and deservedly so for yeah. what he's done. Yep, quite agree. Are we getting your well, time? Well, I'm going to interrupt you guys because we're going to go off there in about th- about three seconds. Um, I want to thank Tim and Chris for being on for the second straight night. And Stephen Brandt next week. Hopefully, Chris Kennedy will be on. We'll firm that up by the end of the, well, end of the week is now. 
Anyway, I want to thank all of you guys for being on, and I will talk to you guys next week. Thanks for having me.